Hey, have you got bare walls at home or in your office? Do you want to surround yourself with the majesty and inspiration of our mountains? I'm talking truly incredible photography of Western North Carolina landscapes. RedRockPhotoNC.com. Stay tuned for details. It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. It is, what, Wednesday now? July 29th. And uh, thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. The show is made possible by patrons like Michelle and Jeff and Nicole and David and Josh and David and Nick and Beth and Dal and Paul, Andy, Patrick, another David and Mike. So thanks so much. Uh, Couldn't do the show without you. I appreciate it. So Governor Roy Cooper uh, dropping the hammer on all of the bars that were already closed and the restaurants that pretended to be bars <laughs> uh, after 11 p.m. He's doing it for the children, the college students specifically. So uh, yesterday, the governor and his Health and Human Services Secretary, Dr. Mandy Cohen, they held their news conference. They've now scaled these back, by the way. They used to do them every day. Now they're down to twice a week, and the governor makes an appearance at one of them. So uh, I like usually you do that sort of thing when the COVID or the catastrophe, I should say, whenever the catastrophe has passed. Um, But otherwise, I'm not really sure why you would scale it down as the number of cases and hospitalizations and deaths. They all went up. That's why we're still in phase two. Right. So Mandy Cohen started off by saying that the metrics show early signs of stabilizing. These early signs are a testament to the hard work folks have been doing across the state. They show what is possible when we all work together. Now, when we look at the states around us that haven't taken the slow approach to easing restrictions and they haven't required cloth face masks as North Carolina has, it's clear that there is no one and done with this virus. It takes consistent and ongoing work to slow the spread of COVID-19. Our best weapons remain the three W's. Today's numbers make that abundantly clear. Yeah, abundantly clear. I'm not sure why I clipped off there. So uh, this is a a couple of themes emerge here. You've got uh, the comparison of North Carolina to other states in the area, specifically the ones with Republican governors, because even when, see, this is the thing, they come across as the super nice and just mild mannered people and, oh, we're so nice, but they score their political points constantly. They are constantly on offense. And this is another example of it. You know, we're better than all those Republican-led states, okay, Uh, because, you know, they didn't do what we were doing. Um, It is going to be interesting after all of this is over at some point uh, to go back and chart what the final numbers work out to be and whether or not any of these things had any discernible impact in containing a virus. Because right now it seems like what Cooper is doing is just waiting for a, a vaccine to be discovered, which... Uh, not for nothing, but humans, we don't have a very good history when it comes to vaccines against coronaviruses. But whatever, like that's that's what it seems like he's waiting for. Like w- w- if we could just hold out till like mid next year, <laughs> we'll we'll have a virus uh, or a vaccine rather, and uh, and then everybody will say, "Look at Roy, he did such a great job containing it," and then he becomes president. Right? Um, I guess that's the play. I'm not so optimistic. I think that the virus is here to stay. 
just like the Spanish flu kind of led to the flu, the influenza that now makes its way around the world all the time. Like, I, I don't, I don't see that changing, but I could be wrong. Just, you know, just my gut feeling on this. By the way, when she said the slow approach to easing restrictions in North Carolina, that actually means no easing of restrictions for certain businesses like bars uh, and such. She says the leveling we see in the hospitalizations and the case counts and the deaths, it proves that the mitigation efforts are having an impact. Specifically, we see a direct correlation to the start of the statewide mask requirement at the end of June. Two to three weeks after implementing this requirement, we started to see the beginning of these more stable trends. Okay, that, that's actually not really true. Uh, the, the numbers keep going up and up and up and up and up and up and up. Mask ban goes in place up and up and up. I would submit the more logical explanation is I'm not saying the masks have no impact. I'm just saying that the numbers and the the lagging indicators that she's trying to cite, they don't really line up well. Um, If you look at the chart, I would submit that it was the the stopping of all of the widespread mass gatherings that probably had more of an impact because all throughout the month of June, you had all these mass gatherings, the virtuous protests, right? That apparently COVID was, you know, not supposed to smite people in these virtuous protests. Uh, And then, you know, the lagging indicators several weeks later, we see all of this. We see the surge. We see this number, the numbers going up and up and up. Oh, and it's affecting young people. I wonder why that is. I don't. They were the ones at the protest marches and the mass gatherings, right? So now that the protests are all over in North Carolina, what are we seeing? The lagging indicator is that all of the numbers are leveling out. But it's the face masks, I'm sure, that you put in place at the end of June, right? Now, that could totally be it, too, right? Um, Now, here's something I, I do know, that if you are trying to buy or sell a home, I recommend Rowena Patton because she will get your home sold faster and for more money. And uh, if you are in the military or a firefighter or a healthcare professional or an educator or a member of the military, veterans, active duty, and retired, you can be part of the Homes for Heroes program. Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team are the only and official Homes for Heroes real estate agents in Asheville. All right. They are on a mission to give back a million dollars. They're somewhere in the neighborhood of about $800,000 they have given back to local folks in these five professions. Okay. So call the only agent that I would call buying or selling. Uh, Christy and I are now looking to buy. And so we went to mountainhomehunt.com and we started putting in our criteria. So now we get updates. We're looking at houses. Uh, We're also looking at land to build on, maybe, all of it. Rowena can help you with everything. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and then start packing. All right, so Mandy Cohen goes through all of the metrics saying we're doing great, leveling, everything's looking good, got flat lines on this stuff, maybe a little bit of decline. Yay us, what what we've done is working, and uh, and now we want to double down. And so this is where Cooper comes in and drops the bomb. It's encouraging to see our numbers are stabilizing, particularly when other states are seeing spikes. But the numbers are still too high. No, too high. In order to start a downward trend, we have to double down on actions that slow the spread of the virus. Other states have had to go backward when they saw sharp increases in their case numbers that overwhelmed their hospitals. Fortunately, we've avoided that. And it's because we've mandated masks 
and eased restrictions carefully in modest phases. We do not want to go backward. Stable is good, but decreasing <laughs> is better. Okay. When he says stable is good, tell that to the business owners that have been out of business now going on, like bars, uh, they've been closed at what, 133 days now? But what, what business can survive after that? I understand he's all focused on the numbers, but the case numbers themselves, I've said this a million times, you know, the case numbers themselves don't actually tell you much of the story. And that yet that's what they always focus on. The case numbers. Look at all the cases. Look at all the cases. Well, okay, well, how many cases of there are, I don't know, automobile deaths, automobile I accidents, injuries, right? If you keep a tally of these stats and you say that's the most important stat, is it really? No. It's, it, it, it has to be cross-referenced with your population. It has to be cross-referenced with the number of deaths and the different age groups, different settings. What are the risks? I've gone over all this before. I know I'm a broken record on this. Slowing the spread of this virus requires targeted strategies that help lower the risk of transmission. To that end, and in order to drive down numbers and continue our trends moving in the right direction, we are announcing today a statewide curfew on the sale of alcohol at restaurants. There it is. It's unbelievable. Out of the blue. No warning whatsoever. Just going to ban all alcohol sales after 11 p.m. Why? Effective this Friday, July the 31st, restaurants must stop selling alcoholic drinks after 11 p.m. Bars will remain closed. We've not yet opened bars in North Carolina for a reason. Public health experts and examples from other states show that bars and other places where people gather closely together are a high transmission setting for this virus. We want to prevent restaurants from turning into bars after hours. And we're hopeful that this new rule can help drive down cases, particularly among young people. But aren't young people, I don't know why I clipped that again, but, but aren't the young people, aren't they the ones that we want to get infected? I mean, I'm not being, you know, evil about this. I'm not suggesting COVID parties or anything, but generally... Young people are the ones that are younger, they're healthier, and they're stronger, they're less impacted by the virus, and that's how you build herd immunity. That's the idea, right? By the way, this was not asked, this question, of course. Herd immunity has never been discussed by our governor and his Health and Human Services secretary, not even to dismiss it. They just never even talk about it. Here's a good way uh, that uh, you can protect your business. The Karcher misting system with vital oxide disinfectant it is available at general equipment rental in weaverville uh, so if you are a property owner venue operator uh school child care facility airbnb owners real estate agents homeowners hair salons uh, places of worship this is a great way you rent the karcher misting system from general equipment rental in weaverville and it is safe for food contact surfaces for uh, kids and pets uh, it's a hospital grade all-in-one germicidal disinfectant, sanitizer, and deodorizer. 
Okay, it's EPA approved. It kills 99.9% of infection-causing bacteria and viruses, including the coronavirus that causes COVID-19. So you don't have to risk, uh, rinse anything afterwards. You don't have to worry about it being toxic. It's non-toxic. It's hypoallergenic. It's odorless and colorless. 100% biodegradable. You can roll this thing around. It's small, easy to use, cordless, goes everywhere, okay? Are you seeing the benefits of renting one of these Karcher Misters from General Equipment Rental? You should right now. If you rent it once a week, use it after you close down the business at night, and it'll keep the treated areas sanitized for up to 10 days. Then you just spot clean the areas where people uh, touch and, and work. Uh, the Karcher Mister, it's at General Equipment Rental in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Family-owned and operated for three generations. They do it all. They meet all of your equipment rental needs, by the way. So if you're looking for a piece of equipment, they've probably got it. Uh, And they keep these things in tip-top shape. Uh, They service them after every uh, rental. So this way, you know, when you take it to your job site or your home, it's going to work for you. They are also your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. Uh, By the way, go to generalrents.com slash Pete and get a coupon for two free cloth face coverings, okay? Generalrents.com slash Pete. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, generalrents.com. Think outside your toolbox. All right, so Cooper now, the governor, has done this three different times, by the way, following the lead of the large urban areas. First, it was the school closings back in March, right? Uh, I believe Wake County moved first on that, and then Charlotte was looking to do it, and then Cooper came in and shut them all down. Because, And he, he explicitly said, I'm waiting to see what school districts do first. Number two uh, was the mask mandate, right? He he implemented that last month, but that was done after counties and cities in the urban areas of our state, they implemented those first. Then uh, now it's the booze curfew, okay? That was enacted down in Charlotte. Uh, meanwhile, smaller rural areas, they're forced to suffer the regulations, even though the risks there are going to be way lower. It's this, this is the constant criticism that he gets for a one-size-fits-all you know, template for the entire state. This will be particularly important as colleges and universities are scheduled to start, bringing people from all over the country to our state. We've seen case numbers increase among younger people, and prevention is critical to slowing the spread of the virus. So why are you opening the colleges? You got the schools closed. Why are professors' lives worth less than the college kids? College kids are actually more of carriers than younger kids, like K through 5, right? The younger kids up to like age 10, their their, uh, case fatality rate is next to zero, almost zero, yet you're opening the colleges. Could it be that the colleges need the money from the room and board and tuition, right? The colleges need the students there, yet they're going to be the ones that are going to spread it all. What do you think is going to happen, by the way, at these colleges when they go out to the bars and the bars shut down at 11? Do you think that the college kids, oh, well, I guess I'm going back to the dorm and go to bed, or maybe they start hanging out at house parties? What do you think? I think it's going to be the latter. The News and Observer's Lynn Bonner asked, why start the curfew now? Why make it 11 p.m. also? And what evidence does he have that this kind of uh, regulation is actually effective? We know that the bar scene has been a place where we have seen increased transmission. All right, hang on a second. The bar scene? There is no bar scene, man. You shut it all down. Now, there is a brewery scene, I would note. 
Um, but there's no bar scene. What, what are you talking about? Restaurants that are serving alcohol? Like, th- that's the bar scene now, I guess? This has been happening in other states. Oh, other I states. saw uh, the governor of Texas who said if there's anything that he could change, he would not have opened the bars. And we've seen numbers spike in, in Texas. We're getting some reports about some restaurants that essentially turn into bars late at night where people are less socially distant and less sitting at tables and more milling around and more up around the bar. So because they've heard of some places that has that, that has seen this, some restaurants, they've heard some stories of some restaurants, so all restaurants now and all bars, or not bars, but uh, other establishments that serve alcohol, breweries. So because they heard of some places, now everybody has to shut down. Okay, well, I guess that's the science and data and facts that he's always relying on, right? So what we want to do, now that we are have become stable with our numbers, we want to drive those numbers down. And this is one of the ways that we believe will be effective in driving those numbers down. If we discourage that bar-type scene... Okay, hang on. You're not discouraging a bar-type scene. You're banning it, okay? There's a difference. You're not discouraging it. You're banning it. You're prohibiting it. Discouraging would be, hey, let's not do that. Hey, how about, you know, we uh, have like a carrot or a stick kind of a deal for uh, bars or restaurants, rather, that kind of turn into bars. We could, you know, threaten them with fines or something like that. That would be discouraging. What you're doing is prohibiting. That's different. And all you're doing is sending these people to other places. As I mentioned, house parties. In a restaurant. Uh, 11 o'clock was was chosen because we know some restaurants begin serving dinner to people at 9 and 9.30, and we just wanted to make sure that uh, the restaurant part of the evening would be over and discourage uh, uh, the bar scene after 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock. Yeah, I don't know why it keeps clipping the audio. Um, But at 11 o'clock. So what about all of the people that get out of work? What about them? Okay. Mandy Cohen says, this just proves how they're using all of this data, you know, to make the targeted interventions. These are targeted strategies that uh, that they're implementing. Speaking of targeted uh, implementation and strategies, do you know how important your website is to your business? You probably do now more than ever, right? And you really needed to turn up in search results and you want it to look professional, and you want it to be user-friendly, and you're probably not sure how to do all of that. And that's fine. Look, you know your business. You don't have to know the website side of everything. Um, So let my friend Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design take care of you, okay? Because he can design a website. He can help you if you're doing professional services, your corporate, small business, entrepreneurs. He can help you with graphics and photos, build out an online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance and security. He does logos. He did mine. Uh, Go to SchaeferSmith.com. Get the most out of your website. That is SchaeferSmith.com. And uh, tell him that you heard it here. So the uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services says this is all about targeted interventions, and it proves, the data proves that what they have been doing all along has been working. Cooper and Cohen were asked about whether they're concerned that uh, they might not be building trust 
among the general population with some of these uh, mandates and such. I think trust is so important as we've been thinking about our response effort overall. One of the ways in which we hope that we are building trust with everyone is to be very transparent, particularly with what is going on in North Carolina. It's why our dashboard is full of data and we continue to put more data on there. It's why we continue to have these press conferences and be available. Right. That's why they keep doing the press conferences that they restrict the reporters access to, that they make them dial in on a platform designed to create teams. And then the A team gets to ask questions and the B team, they just get relegated to purgatory. They never get to ask their questions. That's the kind of transparency that this administration is all about. So what are the punishments for um, people who violate this and, and who's enforcing this? ALE, Alcohol Law Enforcement, and our ABC Commission uh, is empowered under this executive order to enforce the law. And in fact, uh, there have been some bars that have tried to open in violation of the previous executive order. And ALE has stepped in to say to them, hey, if, you, if you're open, if you're violating the rules, then you can lose your license. So that, those law enforcement officials will be ready to enforce this law. Of course, we hope that everyone abides by it. Yeah, but uh, misdemeanors all around if you don't. So, uh, right, this isn't discouragement. Uh, this is prohibition. Uh, and look, we're going to find out whether this works or not, although he'll claim credit, he'll claim it did work. And if it doesn't work, he'll say it's because nobody followed his rules or something, I'm sure. Uh, one business that's actually feeling this impact and will feel it even more now Fat Cats Billiards in Asheville, and Dustiana and Michael are the owners. We are still open. We are plugging along. We are very blessed to have amazing regulars that have been in every day supporting us and getting chicken wings, and we've got a full kitchen, and it's kind of a hidden jewel because we've got some of the best bar food around, but you know, we really ventures down to a pool hall you don't really think bar food (laughs) right so this executive order so you guys are open you are operating you're doing what the social distancing you're at reduced capacity yes we have no seating at our bar top and then we have all of our tables six to eight feet apart so we've got them spaced up down low because obviously we can't do cornhole or darts right now either so we've taken over that area with more cocktail tables for people to sit at and All of our pool tables have been covered up, and we've put sanitizer stations around the entire bar. We've got a very rigorous cleaning schedule. We've got masks and temperature checks at the front door with our bouncers, and they clean the door every time people leave. And we just installed um, a big-ass stand up top to help keep the air circulating up top. And we've done everything that we possibly can think of to do to make sure we're doing what we're supposed to, and we're randomly testing all of our staff for COVID with rapid testing. So when you hear the governor talk about uh, bars not being able to operate safely, you disagree, I assume. Oh, absolutely. We've got 8,000 square feet. And our pool tables, we could even open like at least six of them with 8,000 square feet. Everybody's 20 feet or more away from each other. And we could do like groups of four. And the problem we have is there are several pool halls in Raleigh that are open. There's pool halls in Hickory and Brevard doing tournaments. But uh, Hendersonville is not prosecuting anybody. The DA has already said that any case 
that comes across his desk, he will not do anything with. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, in Buncombe County, to where they are being more strict with it, and we've already had ALE come in twice on us to do random inspections, and all of our pool tables are completely covered. Like, there's no way we could possibly be rinsing tables. And we've had our liquor license threatened, and we're not renting tables. So, And this is from the state ALE folks that are threatening the liquor license revocation? Yep. And why? Because they think that you're, like, covering Which up the is, tables when they walk in? Yeah. Okay. And if you see the way our place is like, we have 17 pool tables, and they're very tight covers. We can't just randomly uncover them and cover them back, like, oh, they're in the parking lot. We cover them back up. <laughs> right. Hey, uh, in a former life, I worked at a pool hall, so I understand. The, so the question, I guess, then is, how does this new executive order affect you any differently than the prior executive order did? Because it seems like you're operating still because you're serving food, right? And that's sort of the distinction that you're you're able to operate under? 60 to 70% of our total sales for the day happen between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. Oh, wow. We're more concerned for our staff. They just lost over half of their money in no time at all. So we're, we're going to toy around this week and maybe do like a, a brunch buffet or open earlier, you know, since we can serve alcohol at 7 a.m. Maybe just <laughs> here's for all the early risers. I don't know. No. We're going to just toy around with some ideas because um, we're – one of the only bars in the area that's open till two and we have food all the way up until close, but all of the service industry people, the people that work at wild wings and Buffalo wild wings and Hickory Tavern and Olive garden and Chili's and all of the restaurants that are very close to us come and have drinks at our bar afterwards. And now that is all gone. So you say that your bar is actually the, the, the bar itself is, is shut down so people can't stand at the bar and drink and I guess cough all over each other, that sort of thing. So where yep. are they, where are they actually drinking? We have 15 cocktail tables spaced sporadically all around. And then we have an extra like five tables down towards the back. And then we've got extra chairs around the room if need be, because we can fit up to with our um, capacity compliance, 121 people. And we've got, like, the bar area tates off with cones and, like, neon signs, like, don't come up to the bar in order. You won't get served unless you're in a seat. It's just closing at 11. That's when everybody starts to come in, you know. And we had to, like, temporarily let go of our DJs because we can't have karaoke or a DJ or anything right now. And, you know, we're, just, we're, we're very close with our staff. And we want to look out for them and want to look out their, for their families because they have a lot of single moms. And we have a lot of, like, dads and sons taking care of elderly parents. Right. So and it sounds like you've done everything that you can. And it's more than I think a lot of other places that I've been to, at least, that I've witnessed. Uh, you're doing way more than a lot of other places. But this new executive order takes your your busiest time, you said, is from 10 a.m. to 2 a.m. Or, sorry, 10 p until 2A. And so those four hours, you've basically lost 75% of those hours, right? The Because if you got to close at 11, you only get the 10 to 11. And maybe some people come earlier, but like you said, if you're catering to service industry people, where are they going to go? I guess house parties. Yeah. And that's yeah. my problem. Like, okay, so you're telling these young kids is essentially who you're targeting. They're not go out. So now 
these 22, 23 year olds have like two bedroom apartments. We get 30 people in there with no mask on. They're going to keep drinking. That's going to make it even worse. And you don't have adult supervision and a bartender to cut them off or take their keys. Were you surprised by this announcement yesterday or did you have any idea that this was going to come? In all honesty, I really thought Governor Cooper was going to go back to phase one. That's what I oh, gotcha. <laughs> He was going to dial it back to one. I didn't think that because I, re- I thought that they were going to go to um, phase three. It was the original plan in on August 1st. I thought maybe, well, hey, the numbers are looking good. Maybe they look to uh, loosen a little. Well, he, um, he's been saying phase three for so long. We've just given up hope. I didn't even schedule for a possible phase three. But uh, he had been mentioning a phase 2.5, and I'd read an article like earlier this week where he was contemplating shutting everything down. And if you read the order, it still is on the table for them to go back to phase one. In order to try to read Cooper's intentions, I think it's best to look at what cities like Charlotte and Raleigh and Durham do, because he apparently takes his cues from those leaders. It's that's what it seems like to me. And with South Carolina doing the same similar thing, we kind of we thought this would be an idea, but I, in all honesty, I really did think he was going to go to phase one. So, mm. on the bright side, I am a little happier that we could still sell alcohol. <laughs> right, <laughs> just not a, just not past eleven p.m. Yeah. Uh, all right. Is there anything else you want to add here that you think uh, people should know that's interesting or important that we haven't already covered? Uh, we are trying our butts. Working hard. We're trying so hard to uh, stay alive, and this is another just stab right in the heart with a hot sword. Right when we think we're about to be able to open, like something's got to give, or we're, we're not going to be able to survive, you know? And a lot of places aren't. There's a reason 18% of restaurants worldwide are not going to come out of this. And it's the small local people that are getting hit the hardest. Wild Wings doesn't care. Hickory Tavern doesn't care. Buffalo Wild Wings doesn't care. They've got billion-dollar backing. We don't. It's just me and him. How much longer do you think you can hang on? Uh, we can hang on through the end of the year, um, scripting and saving. And we've we've talked to all of our staff. We've taken cuts in our own salary. You know, we're just going to inch through this. Fortunately, we were saving up to, like, put a deck on the back. It was supposed to be our plan for March, but then that all just kind of went out the way. But because we did start saving money to add the deck onto our buildings, the only reason we've been able to get through this and the PPP read out months ago, the IDL, it's helping, you know, the grant that we got. But there's they need to do something more for the businesses that are losing billions of dollars to you. Dustiana and Michael, I appreciate you spending some time with me and telling us your story. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Here's another small business that has been uh, scrapping and fighting to stay alive in these unprecedented times. Mattress Man stores four locations in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. They do ship nationwide. Let the sleep consultants help you find the right bed for you. And there's no better time than right now because they have the triple zero deal going on. Zero percent financing for up to 24 months. Zero down and zero payments for 90 days. Hot deals to keep you cool as well. $399 for a Queen Gel Memory Foam mattress. My wife and I have the Memory Foam. I got to be honest, looking maybe at some point here to upgrade, maybe go to the Gel Memory Foam. Keeps you cool. Free bedding bundles also that includes sheets, protectors, and pillows with the purchase of select mattresses. Uh, Go on in or go to their website, mattressmanstores.com. Experience the difference at Mattress Man, buy local, and sleep better. 
Now, one of the other aspects at play here is the unemployment program that the governor got asked a couple of questions about yesterday as well. He was first asked if if there's any consideration to calling a special session to bring the legislature back in before September 2nd in order to increase unemployment benefits. Here's what he said. If we felt that we could get some positive movement from the legislature, that's certainly a potential. We know, though, that... uh, the state senate proposed an increase in the state benefit which the state house did not take and that didn't end up being in the uh, final budget and there was no consideration given to extending the benefits now that we see that this virus is still raging across the country now that we see that people's uh, are going to be out of work for a longer period of time, I hope two things will happen. Number one, that Congress will agree on additional supplemental money. Uh, You know, it would be good if it would be the $600. It looks like it might be somewhere in between that. But that supplemental money is particularly important in North Carolina because our state legislature has provided some of the uh, smallest benefits in the country for the shortest period of time. So we need, uh, number one, Congress to help with that supplement. And number two, when the legislature comes back, we need to relook at North Carolina's unemployment insurance, particularly in light of this virus and what it has done to families across our state. And we also know that when people receive these uh, unemployment payments, that money goes into the economy to pay bills, utility bills, rent, food, those kinds of things, uh, and it'll also help our economy. So uh, this is these are the two criticisms you're hearing from the left again about Republicans that they came in a decade ago almost now, and they had to shore up an unemployment insurance program that the Democrats previously had bankrupted, like literally ran that out of money during the Great Recession, had to borrow like almost $3 billion. Uh, and so their criticisms on this are twofold. Number one, that the the uh, the benefits that you get, the insurance payment that you get from uh, unemployment is too low and it runs out too quickly. Okay, so we're going to get into that uh, in a minute. Here's something that you want to uh, go check out first, though. Go look at some uh, uh, some photos of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Go to redrockphotonc.com. Redrockphotonc.com. Stacy Redman, that's where the name comes from. Redman, Red. Anyway, Red Rock Photo NC. Stacy Redman is from Western North Carolina, shooting landscapes for two decades, and uh, his work is amazing. It is brilliant, and it's affordable. He's got all sorts of price points, and they're just magnificent photos. You want to hang these either at your mountain retreat, or you want to hang them uh, in your place outside of the mountains to remind you of the place you'd rather be. See for yourself at redrockphotonc.com. Use promo code PETE for 20% off redrockphotonc.com. State Senator Jim Perry joins me now. He's the Republican who represents District 7, Lenore and Wayne Counties in the State General Assembly. Uh, Welcome, Senator Perry. How are you, sir? I'm well, Pete. Thanks for having me. Uh, Certainly. So you were watching, I assume, the the discussion around unemployment insurance benefits uh, that are paid out. And at yesterday's press conference, uh, the governor 
was asked specifically about what number he wanted to see this um, this go to in the state. He said he wanted it to go higher than $400. I think he was asked specifically what number he would like it to go to, and he did not give an answer. Um, but in, in the Twitter discussion that we were having after the fact, um, I, I think you raised some pretty important points that like a lot of people don't realize that unemployment insurance benefits it's not a uh, it, it right it's not a it's not an aid program that comes from taxpayers right right that's right and it's been interesting for me to learn you know i'm a, a newer member of the general assembly um, just was seated in january of 2019 and this is such a, a big issue and uh, you know especially now with everything going on and unemployment at, at record levels in the country and here in the state and um, you know it, it's difficult because we face so many different topics but this one is uh, certainly one that needed to be pushed uh, to the forefront and I've, I've tried to learn a lot more about it uh, I've had some exposure over the years in being a, a business owner and a, a manager of a, a large business but you know this is one of those things it's like um hanging out with the accountant at the christmas party it's, <laughs> it's sometimes it's not the most uh interesting thing to do uh but it 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 is important and uh i i didn't realize how little i i knew about it and as i read some of the comments and, and some of the stories i i realize that others know uh probably even less now because it, it just doesn't work the way people uh think that it does right you've got people who are actually doing reports that other people are trying to read to be informed of things sure. and they don't understand that these are taxes on businesses right. uh, that the, the businesses pay taxes and it's different in every state there are all sorts of really complicated and complex formulas that some states use some states don't use uh, as complicated formulas so like basically every state is different but these are direct taxes on businesses and in 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 difficult times, those uh, th this uh, this tax, this unemployment insurance tax, it, it becomes sort of uh, an, an additional weight on top of businesses that are already struggling because if they can't afford to keep people on staff, they have to lay people off and then they get dinged with extra taxes, right? That's right. And it, it's interesting to, you know, kind of walk back in history and uh, find out how this started and what the intent was. And uh, this was actually put in place uh, under FDR uh, back in 1935. And if you go back and read the reports, they had a, a huge bipartisan committee that, that said, hey, you know, it's good to be able to avoid some of the wide swings during difficult economic times. Because if you think about 1935 mm -hmm. and what just happened in 29, um, this was very real and very raw for them, you know, to have that kind of an impact. But think about the Industrial Revolution. They also had high unemployment. I mean, routinely it was 8 9%. But they had a lot of people that were injured on the job, right, and would be out for two or three weeks because of the, you know, the unsafe work environments. So in reading about it and the intent, it's really interesting. And in, in the report, they specifically mentioned that, hey, you know, we want to have a safety net and we want to be able to provide cash. But this needs to always be very temporary. And if anything, uh, maybe we need the state, uh, the federal government and the states to create some jobs. So instead of just paying someone, 
uh, for being at home, let's, you know, let's uh, get some infrastructure going or use manual labor. Uh, so it was always intended to be very temporary. And uh, the goal was always to get people back to work as quickly as possible. Um, and, you know, fast forward to today and, and some of the changes over time, you know, the federal government intended for states to be able to structure their programs within certain parameters as they wanted to. Um, and North Carolina has made some changes over time. But as I've dug into them, they, they seem to be really pretty reasonable. And I, I can give you some examples when you're ready yeah. to move into that. Yeah, please do. Go ahead. So one of the things that I see quoted a lot, uh, I see that North Carolina only pays, I think it was $265 uh, in benefits, and they compare that to different parts of the state, or you know, someone will say, we're in the bottom 10 of unemployment benefits, or, you know, or near the bottom. Well, that, that actually makes sense, because the, the goal is to be somewhere around 50% replacement of, of wages, right? And in actuality, I think statistics will bear out that it, it runs somewhere between 33 and 46%, and we don't really hit that mythical average around the country. But North Carolina, it makes sense that we'd be, you know, let's call it the bottom 15 in terms of the benefit, because if you look at the average median income as compared to other states, guess where we are? We're right around that same range, you yeah. know, around the bottom 15. So you've got to think about things like the cost of living in North Carolina, the quality of life. Um, do we want to pay the same employment benefits as somewhere where the average wage is 30% higher? I mean, it's just mathematically, you know, not, not speaking emotionally, but mathematically, it that would not make sense. Um also, when I looked at the duration of benefits, because that's something that slammed and it was down to like eight weeks. And I thought, well, why is it eight weeks if the, you know, the baseline on it is uh, down around 12? Uh, why would it be eight weeks? Why would anyone not uh, take the full range of benefits? Right. Mm -hmm. and, um, and the only reasons I can think of that seem to make sense to me is, well, number one, if you get a job. Right. And yeah. you drop off of unemployment that that makes sense that you would no longer be there. Or if you just don't live up to your end of the bargain and you're not out, you have to be look, available for work, looking for work. And if presented a job, uh, you have to take it, you know, in order to be qualified. And also that that so that's how you're less than the 12 weeks that are available. And, and you see some that indicate we have an average of eight weeks. I'd say that's actually a good thing. Uh, it means, you know, the unemployment is low, jobs are available. Um, but that 12-week number and eight-week number, those those low numbers that get quoted all the time, people rarely mention that it's actually a sliding scale. And as unemployment, uh, the rate goes up, then the number of weeks increase. And that makes sense to me because if jobs are harder to find, uh, wouldn't you want a little more time? But if the economy's red hot, you know, we're at 4% unemployment, uh, why would it, why would we want to burden businesses? Because it's not the state. To your point, it's businesses. Why would we expect them to pay, you know, for four months of unemployment in a red hot economy? If someone's motivated to find a job, probability indicates there's a pretty good chance they will. Not in all cases, you know, it's not a perfect system, but the, the architecture of the plan seemed very 
reasonable to me when I when I dug into it. There are some tweaks that that I would make, and we've been discussing those uh, in the General Assembly between the House and the Senate, uh, Republicans and Democrats, regardless of what what you read. Uh, we actually have some very reasonable conversations. <laughs> um, but if you think about it, DES can't pay everyone today, right? We still have people who are waiting and have been waiting. So they, they've got a, a system that uh, needs some changes. Uh, I know they've taken some steps and moved some things around over there. But let's just admit that they were not eating what was on their plate today. So would it be smart to go dump a lot more on their plate by implementing a bunch of changes in the middle of a pandemic when people already are not getting checks? Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't, I'm, I'm a business guy. I'm, I, you know, I'm sort of forced into politics. Uh, right. <laughs> that doesn't make sense to me. It, it just doesn't make sense. And, and why someone would argue for that, um, it, it'd be hard to put in place and do it well. And I, I think it lead to even uh, more delays I, you know, I would index some things going forward so it didn't require legislative activity. Uh, but I, I, I think it's important for people to understand that our benefits should not look like uh, benefits in another state where things are a lot more expensive. It, it doesn't make sense. And this is insurance. So, you know, I, I'd have people call me and say, well, I'm, I'm self-employed. Why, you know, before the, the federal um, guidelines were changed, why will I not get unemployment? And I, I'd have to tell them that, hey, this isn't a benefit from the state. This right. is insurance that your employer pays into. And if you're self-employed, uh, you don't have this insurance because you did not buy it. Mm-hmm. And, and once they understand that, they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, that, that makes a little more sense. So it's, it's interesting to dig in and to learn more. Again, not a perfect system. There are things that that I would change. I just hate seeing uh, people, our society as, as a whole, I guess, just refuse to be reasonable, refuse to be objective. Um, you can still not like the unemployment system, but you can at least understand how it really works. You work for someone, you're covered by unemployment insurance, your employer is paying that insurance or tax is really what it is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's called insurance to be more palatable. Someone's paid that for you. So if you take all of the covered jobs and the salary and then look at the average, and most people caught in a traditional economic cycle who experience unemployment, the the largest numbers are going to be hourly wage earners. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the bottom half of that scale. So actually what they did in 2013 was was really kind of thoughtful and, and, and not crazy. You know, when you start thinking about what the employers are having to pay for and the adjustments that are made, um, we had 9% unemployment in the state uh, at the end of 2012. So it was a, it was a different time. I think we owed the federal government about $2.8 billion because unemployment insurance is supposed to be a forward thinking and forward looking benefit. Uh, So you, you pay for it in the good times, so it's there in the bad times and um, they, they failed to make the, the proper adjustments. You know, no one saw the, the great recession coming of, of 2009, uh, 10 years earlier, but it can really lead to solvency issues. And, and that's what we saw And steps were taken to make sure that our fund was solid going forward. So mathematically and from a policy standpoint, um, 
I think the directionality of these decisions have actually been good. Uh, we've got about 4.4 million people in North Carolina that we've covered employment, meaning they work for someone and someone's paying into that pool. Our labor force is a little over 5 million in our civilian labor force. So we have about 87% of our labor force is covered by unemployment insurance. So, you know, again, people throw out a lot of different numbers. I don't think they, they understand them all of the time. Um, you know, everyone who's unemployed isn't looking for a job and unemployment um, like today, it doesn't cover you and it was not supposed to cover you if you left voluntarily or, let's say you're unemployed because you're waiting for your first job or, you know, maybe you're a dad who stayed home with the kids for a few years and you're getting back out of the labor pool. Uh, you're not covered. Uh, if your spouse is in the, the military and has to relocate, you, you are covered. Um, you know, the spouse is, um, there's a lot of different aspects of it, but overall, I, you know, it, everything needs to be tweaked things have a, a life cycle and we always need to revisit and readjust, but we can at least have reasonable conversation that are the conversations that are fact-based. My guest is state Senator Jim Perry. Now more than ever, you need old Grouch's military surplus in your life. He's got an expanded line of first aid kits and medical supplies for all kinds of emergencies. Maybe avoid a trip to a hospital, take care of your, uh, your minor scrapes or more severe injuries. He's got body armor of all kinds made to NATO specs. It's in store or over the phone purchases only for that. Face masks made by a locally disabled veteran family. They make them out of parachutes, military parachutes, so they're lightweight and soft. They also have some of the old steel gas cans, the pre-ban old school ones, and of course, tons of real U.S. military surplus. For more than three decades, Old Grouch's Military Surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. The shop is open Monday through Saturday and at oldgrouch.com. So what happened, the Senate, because uh, the governor mentioned that the Senate was looking at this increasing the ceiling to $400 a week, but the House did not. So what what happened? Do you know the what's going on, I guess, politically? Sure. So, you know, and, and it's interesting the, the way uh, conversations are always couched at the General Assembly, <laughs> because, you know, uh, the way that sounds, and it's not a, uh, it's not a look that we get very often, it sounds like the Senate uh, was the group that was being, you know, really sweet and right. easy on the dollars and giving it away in the house of being mean. And that that's just not the case at all. Uh, we had a bipartisan discussion of Senate and house members about increasing the benefit. And uh, we talked about going up to 400. Uh, we seem to have some widespread support for that. Uh, we've talked about indexing it to figuring out how we want to determine, you know, the, the average wage. Uh, is it going to be covered wages, which, again, you've got the impact of outliers, or do we want to uh, do a computation for a median average? Um, so everyone realizes that, you know, salary levels have changed since legislation was done in 2013, and it, it's reasonable to look at things. But here are the concerns. If you change your horse midstream, you know, you're in the middle of a pandemic. We, we said that these benefits should be forward funded and you increase payout levels. Now you deplete your your fund much more quickly. Mm -hmm. and you potentially have solvency issues again. Uh, no one knows how long this uh, shutdown is going to last. 
uh, how long the, the governor will uh, have his executive orders in place that, you know, you can agree with them or not. You can argue constitutionality. You can argue a lot of things, but you can't argue that it's going to have a significant economic impact on individuals in our state as a whole. How long is that going to last? You know, what's this fund need to look like? And uh, when you borrow from the federal government, it has to be paid back within two years with interest. And if, if you don't have the ability, let's say you're not adding jobs and new employees fast enough, um, they force you to pay. They force the employers. They'll raise that, that, uh, FUTA tax, the F-U-T-A, um, the Federal Unemployment Tax um, Area or Act, I think is what it was. Um, and that's more of a strain on businesses at a time when they can least afford to do it. So, you know, there, there's a lot of different reasons around it, a lot of concerns. And then the, you know, the conversation was brought up about the difficulties at DES. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hey, if they can't process what they have today, with benefits that have been in place for six years, is it really a good idea to go ask them to implement a bunch of changes and platform changes and process changes when they're already messed up? I mean, that it just didn't seem to make sense. So I think the, the general agreement and consensus is, hey, we want to make adjustments, but let's do this the right way and not shoot from the hip and uh, focus on, Uh, doing good things for people while maintaining solvency in the fund. State Senator Jim Perry representing District 7, covering Lenore and Wayne counties. I appreciate your time today, Senator. Thanks so much for spending with me. Thank you for having me. So the governor is calling for the General Assembly not to come back early to fix this really important problem, but he'll wait for them to come back on their own schedule. And then he hopes that they do this thing that some of them are already inclined to do. Also, he wants to expand Medicaid because I think expansion of Medicaid solves like literally every problem that Governor Cooper identifies. It's really weird like that. All right, that's a wrap for this episode. Remember, please subscribe to the podcast. Give it a positive review, thumbs up, five stars, whatever. And consider becoming a patron of the program. You get the cool stuff. You get exclusive content. Links are at thepetecalendarshow.com and in the description of the podcast. Thanks so much for your support. Talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.